Welcome everybody to episode 5 of the Preacher's Corner podcast. My name is Abraham Gomez. You can follow the podcast page on Instagram and Facebook for the latest news. I'm here in Chula Vista, California at Lighthouse Church. I'd like to thank Pastor Josh Herrera and Pastor Sam Mascareño for allowing me to use their facility today for this episode. My guest today is Pastor TJ Anglin. He is a leader, motivational speaker, and an author. He has appeared on TBN, and you can follow him on Instagram at TJAnglin1 and on Facebook. Also, you can subscribe to his YouTube channel. He's married to Carissa Anglin, and together they are raising three young boys. He is a pastor of Cornerstone Church Coastal Campus in Pacific Beach, California. They meet at 11 a.m. on Sundays at Pacific Beach Middle School, where you're invited to, to come. You're welcome to come and hear uh, Pastor TJ speak. Pastor TJ, it is an honor to have you on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me today. And we're going to get started. So my first question to you is, so who goes to Hawaii and runs 12 and a half miles? <laughs> if I went to Hawaii, I'd like to hang out on the North Shore, maybe have lunch or sandwich or something, watch the surfers catch the waves. But you, me. with your, with your uh, father-in-law, Pastor Sergio uh, De La Mora, are running while on vacation. So how that started is before I married his daughter, he took me to Hawaii and he ran 13 miles, 12, 12 or 13 miles, and I was just purely performing and auditioning at that point. I had actually uh, rolled my ankle and kept running. Oh, I kept running. <laughs> <laughs> so there's nowhere, there's nowhere in the world that I run like that. So Hawaii is that one place I can go run. It's new scenery. It's beautiful. So I'm not a runner. I just happen to be a runner when I go to Hawaii. He's I'll run for Hawaii with his father-in-law, <laughs> you know, trying to trying to get on his good side. Exactly. Um, I also see that you go um, bear hunting with your son. What what's that experience like, and what were the results? <laughs> well, I actually um, grew up in Bakersfield, California. Okay. And one of the pastors who had uh, took me under his wing, uh, he worked for the fish and game department, so he would always take me hunting and all of that. So I, I haven't done that in years, but yeah. my son. He's 12 years old, uh, becoming, you know, prepubescent and all the challenges that come with that. So I'm like, I want to take him far in the country away from a cell phone and go chase animals. <laughs> so Nice. Um, How was he without a cell phone? Was he okay? Was he, he struggling? I think uh, if you can do the disconnect and then give beauty to it, if you just disconnect somebody or the anxiety is like crazy. But when you're out there and there's just mountains and beauty, then, you know, so I, I think he did well. I think. He did better than me, probably. <laughs> wow. That, and did you uh, get anything? Did you? They, they caught something. Uh, no animals were harmed in our hunting trip for all your listeners. So for, for PETA, PETA be <laughs> yeah, okay yeah, yeah. with this? No animals were harmed. You have endured a lot in your life. Um, your parents divorcing at a young age. Uh, your, pa your wife who passed away while, while giving birth, which we'll get into in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, what was your turning point? for you to really have a relationship with God and even later on um, getting into ministry? I was um, raised in a ministry family where are coming together uh, with aunts and uncles and the grandparents. They, they would all sing and pray. So it's pretty much all I knew. Um, and then as I grew, and my father, like you, you had just mentioned, um, actually ended up divorcing my mom for somebody in the church. Oh, wow which was kind of um, a shock for me at the age. And I, I don't think I was mature enough to be able to uh, understand how to navigate transition at that point in time. Um, but uh, kind of seeing the other side 
of ministry and humanity in ministry. Um, kind of, uh, there was a, a season when I was about 11 or 12 where I was pretty bitter and uh, pretty angry because I couldn't navigate through transition. Yes. Um, but uh, there, there's, a, there's a whole lot to the journey, so I'm just giving a helicopter view. Right. You know, my dad went from church to, to meth and got extremely involved in drugs and all that, all those things. But in, in the process, um, they convinced me to go back to visit a church at Sunday school. And um, I went, I met a young lady, and I love Jesus ever since. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> so God used his, his creation to, to, to lure me in and keep me in. So. And how about getting into ministry? What, um, maybe what was your turning point for you to decide, you know, I want to be um, a minister, eventually become a pastor? What was, you know, the impetus to, for you to get there? Yeah, so um, I was involved in Bible quizzing. That was a thing that uh, the church I had where we learned several hundred scriptures a year. And um, they, they would have, uh, the pastor would have me come up and share devotionals, or they called them sandwich sermons, where you, they gave you five minutes to talk. And uh, I think it, I was 12 or, 12 or 13, and a pastor was preaching. And he says, if you want to receive the call of God in your life, you know, so I did the old school run into the altar. And that was the, the changing point in my life where I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. Oh, that's, you got a taste of it at a young age. Yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. That's awesome. NBC Channel 739 did a story on you in November of 2011. And while your first wife, uh, Letta, was about to give birth to your second child, she unexpectedly passed away. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so we had um, moved from Bakersfield in 2007 to San Diego to be involved in ministry. And we had our first son, Jordan, who was five at the time, and we we're having our second uh, baby boy, Grayson. And so just going into the hospital, um, she was induced for labor, and several hours later, all the drama of her passing away and them doing an emergency C-section and pulling the baby out. And uh, he was actually dead for 29 minutes. Wow. 29 minutes. So, um, but he's good. He's alive. He's seven years old. He's feisty. He's fighting. So it, it, that's been an interesting journey because I've got to see uh, him grow. Yes. And in his growth, it's really a mirror of my growth. So when he was a baby, all he could do is cry. And I felt like in inf infancy of my grief, all I could do was cry. And then, you know, you start crawling. My grief start crawling. He right. starts standing. My grief starts standing. He starts talking. And once I, I begin to learn to put words to my pain and articulate and express, um, it was just, just a nice pattern to, to follow to see uh, now he's just full of life and talking back, and and uh, I, I just feel at the same pace he's he's grown, I've grown, if that makes sense. No, that does make total sense. Uh, there seems to be a um, a piece about you talking about it, um, about describing it, because this is a very uh, traumatic thing for anybody to endure. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a piece, and there's a I, I would call it a joy also um, that as you articulate this, it, it really brings life 
in a in a situation that was very tragic. So I, it, I I commend you for that. I'm so, and that's one of the reasons why you're on here. So my next question for you is, so how did you cope with the loss while trying to raise um, two young boys and even still in ministry? I know you took a sabbatical, but yeah. how did you navigate your own life through through all that with two young boys? Right. Um, I don't. I don't think I pulled it off. I think Jesus, not to be cliche, pulled me out. Right. And I think um, I've become well acquainted with sorrow. I said grief was my my best. Sorrow was my best friend. She never left me. <laughs> when everybody, it's like a country song. <laughs> <laughs> whenever when everyone else was sleeping the night away, sorrow stood up with me. Um, but I I think it, it's made me more human to be able to experience a depth of sorrow. As the Bible says, my soul cries out within me, that there's a depth of soul that, that pain create, creates in us. And I think the deeper someone, there's, I don't believe in old souls, I believe in deep souls. Yes. And when someone has a deep soul because they have deep experience and deep revelation of God's grace at different levels, um, there's just a new beauty to life um, I say, like, in this generation, there's a lot of laughing prophets, which is cool, but I still like a weeping prophet. <laughs> I prefer a sad song over a happy song right. um, because it's, it speaks to my humanity, and I see God's grace and how dependent I am upon Him and how frail and fragile yet secure I am in Him. And so that doesn't that just produces a humility in me that I couldn't achieve on my own. And, and I think that's something that we we tend to forget is that we're humans first and foremost. And, you know, you're in church or you're involved and it begins um, your, your, your feelings. You try to um, suppress them mm-hmm. and try to, well, they're not really there, but eventually they, they come out. So I think it, it was a very healthy thing for you that you actually recognize that from the beginning, your humanity and how God deals with our our hurt and our pain and as he came jesus came to to heal the brokenhearted he came specifically for for you for me and i think understanding our humanity is so important humans uh, from creation have sought to be their own god but god came in jesus to show us how to be human Hmm. so while we're trying to achieve divinity he's like look at i'm giving you permission to be human to experience taste and touch and life and frailty and feebleness and to experience your humanity. And everyone's trying to escape to heaven and earth is not really that bad of a thing. In fact, when you see it in light of Jesus and you take, take the weight off of your shoulders of trying to save yourself through your own humanity and get a real savior because we're great sinners, he's a great savior, and we look to Jesus every day, it makes life lighter. Because I, I often say that people that think in a, a linear, vertical way, up and down, that we build life on top of us. So we get jobs and relationships, and all those things become our identity, and it becomes heavy, and the good things become burden. Mm-hmm. But when we embrace our humanity in light of Jesus, every burden becomes a blessing because it's just an experience. It's not something we're taking on are trying to make an identity of because our identity is in Christ and he's forming his character 
in us. So as we walk, we just walk and experience it freely, lightly, as Matthew eleven twenty eight says. Amen. So my next question for you is, how did you, you know, you said sorrow was your best friend, you know, while everybody's sleeping, you're, you're sobbing, you're crying. How did you deal with loneliness and, and, and discouragement? Like the, the whys that came with, you know, losing your wife now, raising two young boys. Like, why? Why, God? Why me? Did you go through something like that? I think on the onset of it, God spoke pretty clear to me. And it was more a why not me? Like, what did you expect? And I, 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 for a moment, was kind of mad at all the preaching and the things that I had heard over the years because I didn't feel like anyone prepared me for what was coming, even though they, they might have. It's just in that moment, I didn't feel that way. Um, you know, even for us to say, the best is yet to come. Um, and although that's well-meaning and that's nice and that's kind and it's optimistic and we're looking forward to better things, Right. Um, Jesus said that in this earth, you'll have many troubles. So he didn't say in 2019, the best is yet to come. He said some other stuff's going to come troubles, but take heart because I've overcome the world. So it's not about looking our ability to look for a better future. doesn't make a better future come, but our ability to trust God that whatever comes, he overcomes is peace regardless of what's good or bad. So we, we don't measure the joy of our life based on how many bad days and how many good days we have. Um, a lot of people, they want to judge life. If I have more good days than I have bad days, then I have a good life. But what if you have more bad days than you have good days according to what measurement? Right. But life is better yet experienced and received than measured. We're not supposed to be measuring every moment like that and you, you know we're supposed to be experiencing it and, and enjoying it right i think the misconception is that we think just because we're believers we're going to be exempt from going through certain hardships and that's basically jesus said i come because you're gonna have right. hardships you're gonna have some some hard times where you fall or where you you go through some tragedies some losses and but i'm here and take comfort in that that i that i'm with you and if you start off with why, why is a self-justification question? So if I ask my uh, son, why didn't you clean your room? The first thing his mind's going to go to is self-justifying. Right. I didn't because my brother, I didn't because you, you didn't do this for me or you didn't pay me allowance the last three times I did it. You're always going to try to justify yourself. So um, if you say, why did this tragedy happen to me? Then you have to justify yourself with a reasonable answer where Deuteronomy 29.11 says the secret things belong to God. So I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with not having answers outside of Jesus. Mm. I'm comfortable with, with questions. So um, why leads me to give answers that are less than? So why did this happen? Oh, God had a bigger purpose for you because he wanted you to, you know, do this or that. That's not a satisfying answer for me. But what is a satisfying answer for me is in this life, there will be many troubles, but I'll take heart because he's overcome the world. Now that takes some, some trust because we're looking for comfort. We're looking for um, something to e ease our pain. Um, where does that trust in God come from? Because we, 
I mean, we all go through a period of time where we don't trust God fully and, and completely. And, and, and so that's why I ask you, we, we, I understand we have to believe the word mm-hmm. and trust in, in God. But that's where a majority of, of us as believers is we struggle in that trust space. Yeah, I say surrender and defeat, they look the same, but they're not the same. Um, defeat is when I hold on to my problems and refuse my savior. Mm. Surrender is me releasing my problems to my savior. So surrender and defeat, they're both giving up, but what are you giving up to? Mm. What, are, what are you giving up to? So um, what may look like defeat to others is, is really surrender. And, and once again, the gospel is great news because what's commanded of us is provided for us. Hmm. That the trust that I know I should have and I don't have, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he produces in me. So how, how does the cross work in, in practicum um, in my trust issues? That every fear should be crucified and that every factor of my faith should be written resurrected by the power of the spirit so it's not a work of me it's a work of the spirit helping me to trust it's not mental assent of i will trust you you know right but it's it's that that's the the greatest thing my greatest gift of tragedy is is dependence on god real dependence even for the principal things that we talk about right and what about discouragement um did you ever go through a period of discouragement or or you just you just trusted God that, you know, that was kind of uh, something that you didn't um, experience while you were grieving uh, the death of your first wife. No, I think um, if we say trust, we might have pictures in our head of what that looks like. Mm-hmm. But when you say trust to me, I see the behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And behind the scenes is me fighting with God and angry at God. And That's exactly right. So it doesn't yeah. really sound like trust according to the message but it is trust because we're (laughs) i'm engaging i'm fighting um even if it's with him against him um so trust is not this pretty thing of i'll trust you you've got it taken care of trust is once again my humanity trying to resist him and his love overwhelming my humanity and bringing me into submission a love submission. Oh man, submission. That's a, that's a tough one. <laughs> I wrestle with that every day. Um, I, I listened to an interview that you did on um, Faith with Flavor. It was on TBN, um, and you said that um, ap- you know after the the loss of of your uh, first wife, that you went to Cornerstone Church because they had the dark worship. You know, no yeah, lights exactly. and uh, 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 dim lights um, because you could go there. Nobody would see you um, cry. You could be alone. You know. Um, but you said something very interesting to me that in, in that interview that really um, stuck out to me, and I really want to ask you about. Um, and you said that when you give yourself permission to hurt, you give yourself permission to heal. So what do you say to someone like at this stage of loss, um, maybe someone struggling with change or in, in their life, or, or perhaps they've quote-unquote messed up, um, giving yourself permission to, to hurt? Because a lot of times the, the message is, 
just get over it. Just move on. Just it, it, it's a, the best is yet to come. Right. Just like how you said. So permission to hurt. Yeah, the 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 culture is very fast paced. Mm-hmm. So when you go through tragedies in life, it it puts you on pause. So you're on the DVR and you're you're the you're you're the screen, the picture, and it's on pause. Right. But everything else is running past you. Um, I think back to what we're talking about, humanity, is when people, well-meaning, try to say, you know, you're so strong because you're smiling, but they don't actually know that that's that's not actually healthy that I'm smiling. It's it's a mask. Mm-hmm. When I when I went to therapy, my a therapist said, you know, it's interesting every time I mention pain, you smile. And people call that strength. That's not strength. That's a mask. Because the Bible says that even laughter conceals a heavy heart. Yeah. So what we measure as people pulling it off or strength is not the actual measurement. Strength is being able to cry and be vulnerable and be transparent where you're at because God can work with the honest you. God can work with the real. But if you present all these other things, this performance of, I'm going to keep pressing on. And, you know, that, that's, that's good for the ego, too. Every, right. every now and then we got to pump ourselves up. Yeah. But at the end of it, being real, raw, and honest with God, because he knows the truth anyway, would be your best bet. To conceal and to hide and act like you're pulling off, God actually already knows that you're not. So if you can be honest with God, it kind of takes the performance out of you. Otherwise, you get in the cycle of, especially when people are cheerleading you on, oh, you're so strong, you're so incredible. So you got to keep being incredible and keep being strong and keep saying the things that, that makes them think you're strong because that's what you have right now. And meanwhile, you're broken and you're, <laughs> you're, you're slumping and yeah. And you're like, well, I say uh, to um, if you followed me throughout the course, pain is very loud. So the moment you get hit, I was super expressive, you know, on my Facebook, and it it actually was amazing because people affirmed my pain, they acknowledged it. Um, but over time, you you start processing internally, and God starts doing the real work in you. But that initial affirmation from the people is, is helpful. Um, but eventually, you got to go to the dark room and work it out for yourself. The grieving actually really starts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So permission to hurt is a prerequisite for permission to heal. Right. So in the same interview, this is... You had some gold nuggets of wisdom, and I was, you, you were speaking to me while I was um, watching this. Um, you talked about um, a rabbit being in the jaws of a wolf. Yeah. And it's fighting, and it's fighting, you know, trying to get out of, out of its jaws. But then it, once it realizes it isn't as strong as the wolf, it goes limp. Mm-hmm. Um, you only, the only way you survive is if, you surrender. Right. Tell me about that. That's um, kind of around the concept of PTSD um, with post-traumatic stress. And I was alluding to the fact that when a rabbit 
runs away. That's his first and natural instinct. But when it gets caught and it can't get away and it's not faster than the wolf, it fights. But when it realizes the wolf is stronger and greater than it is, then it goes limp. And they say that even um, a lot of drunk drivers, um, I don't know if a lot, but there's a number of drunk drivers because they use the third option, which is to go limp, that they actually survive a lot of crashes because resistance is what causes injury. Mm -hmm. And so it's a part of our biology and defense mechanism to actually go limp. So with PTSD, it, it would be a common memory that would hit you, that would take you to a moment. And in that moment, your biology would actually take you to that moment. And I, I would end up like passing out um, just in random places because I'd be stuck in a moment. So with my late wife dying, it wasn't just a one-time event. It was a tragedy that was relived thousands of times. Wow. And so even when we're talking about it, you're like, oh, you're very comfortable with it because I've been through the tragedy probably 10,000 times. I can't even imagine. Um... What does God's grace mean to you? God's grace to me <clears throat> means that his love has come to persuade my heart. Persuaded away from death unto life. I wouldn't even want to trap grace in like one definition because I know the typical one is the unearned, undeserved, but... Favor of God. Right, right, right. But my evolutionary understanding of grace is that it wasn't about deserved or undeserved. It was about an inheritance that God had came to give us. And um, I think to think in terms of deserved and undeserved is to think in slave terms. Okay. But as a son, it is a rightful inheritance that God is persuading me of the inheritance that he's come to give to me. Sonship. Right. And that's just, that's just one dynamic. I, I think grace is like the diamond with different faces. You just turn it a little bit, and it shows another dimension and another layer of what it really is. Grace is, is um, yeah, growing up, that's what I heard, the, the unmerited favor of God. And you're right to try to um, put it in one, just in one sense, it's doing it in, in justice. There's just so much more to God's, God's grace because we've experienced grace in many different forms you know uh many different ways or even um a lot of, a lot of times like people um they'll be like uh, that's not um that doesn't seem very graceful or, mm. and, and they relate uh kindness to grace mm. or softness to grace it's like no grace is like a warrior grace is empowering grace is fighting for us it's not this weak do whatever you want thing that you've made in your mind Grace is not limited to that thought process. Grace is the empowerment of God. It is the gifting of God, and it's the empowerment of God on those gifts to achieve all that God has called us to achieve. Amen. So, so you said something about your, your, your evolution of, of it. What, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Tell me about that. Your evolution of, of your, your out, maybe your outlook on, on grace. On grace? Um, there's, there's a lot of notions of, of what grace is. I think I met grace, grace met me in the dark. Yeah. And I start seeing the, the dimensions 
the width, the breadth, the length of God's love and how when I couldn't do nothing for God, how he did everything for me. And then even in everything I do, I can't take credit for myself. I see the empowerment of God upon it, even in relationships, in me marrying my now wife. All that is a work of God, God's grace to me. Whereas before, it was just another concept. Peace, joy, we got to have grace, we got to have a little sprinkle of truth, and we got to have a sprinkle of this and a sprinkle. It was just... Mercy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was just sprinkles versus, no, this is the whole cake. This is everything. It's grace and mercy. It's grace and truth, which means grace is not a fruit of the Spirit because it's actually the root of the Spirit, and it produces every good thing in our life. And that was my next up point for you. You say that that grace isn't a, a fruit of the Spirit, but is actually the, the root of the gospel. Yeah. So... Would you elaborate a little bit on, on that? Yeah. Um, every good gift comes from above. Every grace comes from above. So in, in order for me to have peace, peace is the agent that, uh, of grace that grace sent into my life. So if I have peace apart from grace, then I have me working for peace. And me working for peace, I think I can achieve that through yoga or, you know, the sauna or whatever methods that I try to use, but peace, once again, is not something that I achieve. It's something I receive by understanding the power and the work of the Holy Spirit through the finished work of Christ. Amen. So being a pastor, how do you um, minister to your your people? Because um, you, you don't put it out there. You know, I, I lost my wife and you know through tragedy um how does that change your ministry and how you um minister to to your congregation um i think it's uh helped me to cross barriers generationally mm -hmm. when people come to church and it could be like an older woman or man who's like yeah i lost my you know spouse seven years ago and for me to say yeah me, me too kind of helps us to connect on a level that probably otherwise wouldn't be able to connect with that person. I think suffering has a community and people that suffer or have suffered, they, we, we know, you, you just, uh, you see somebody, it's like, like you know them. Mm -hmm. So you just connect right away. It's the fellowship of suffering. So I think it's open doors into um, people for me to see them, for them to see me. And I, I think before I was broken, I probably wouldn't have been able to see them correctly. Mm. So you're Pastor TJ now. Fascinating to me, like, you know, we're, we're talking already, you know, you, you're in ministry, you're leading. But what got you to the point where, like, okay, I'm ready to do this again. I'm ready to give of myself again. How long did that process take? And like, when did you know? You know, a lot of people take, they're never the same again after, you know, certain things that happen in their life. But you got yourself back up and you're now you're, you're leading a, a campus. Yeah. 
and um, and I don't think I'm. I still don't think I'm the same. Um, but I, I find more value in life and in relationships, and I feel like it. I hate to even say it, but almost necessary for ministry. <laughs> Actually, that I. That's what God had spoke to me is never has there been a man greatly used by God who's not experienced a great level of suffering. And so I felt like it was God just opening up the ministry that he was trying to put in me, yeah. that my pride resisted. So in ways, I, in ways I would say that it pushed me more into ministry because what else is there? Right. He's our hope. He's our peace. And this, that's all you had. You right. know? That's all you had in this real deep hurt and, and pain. And I think the the closest person that, you know, I've lost in my life was, was my grandmother. I was really close to her. But, um, and I'll, you know, the pain is, is you know, it's different. You know, is your, it was your spouse. But, you know, it always seemed like it was yesterday. Yeah, I don't know if you you know, feel that or sense that, um, but I always felt like, and it took me a while to um, understand that 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 pain, and um, I know I still have a memory, but you know it, it always it always stays with you, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. It they say um, people say to get better, but if by better you mean it goes away there's always a sting in the soul Mm -hmm. and it doesn't necessarily get better it just gets different and for me i've almost built a parallel life Mm. and what i mean by that is i live in another world with strangers that i don't know how i got here (laughs) i don't know how i (laughs) met them i don't know who i'm preaching to yeah and i have this other world that i lived in that i came from that was destroyed um but i'm in this new world and there's no comparison because it's just like a new creation. It's a it's a whole another world, but it's it's often it's strange because <clears throat> excuse me, it's strange because you have this this past world view, like you came from Mars to Earth, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have all these different reference reference points yes. that nobody knows about. I was driving. Um, with my family through this, through this road, um, back home. And I was going to reference somebody, one of my friends that had passed away because he had felled off the Canyon and I couldn't reference him because the person I was going to reference them, do you know, such and such, well, their brother, there was no reference point because they're not familiar with that world. Right. So I just take everything that God did then and, you know, thank him for it. And, uh, I guess we're we're kind of like cats with nine lives or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you you also mentioned um, that um, you you talked about Job a lot. How he you know he lost his you know like his first life as you say, right. and then in in the second life, God gave him even more kids, more things that would he he had before, and you said that maybe I'll go to the more soccer games. You you learn to appreciate relationships. Um, you know more um spending more time with with people tell me about that because that's very important i think as to build relationships and to maintain those yeah job forty two twelve says the second half of his life was better than the first 
And if you have a triumphal point of view or philosophy about life, you often think that better means more or better means bigger. Um, but the, the real better for Job was not that he had more kids or better kids or more successful kids. The better was what happened in Job. So do things get better? Only if you get better, if you get a better appreciation. The first 10 kids um, and the second 10 kids were the second 10 kids better than the first 10 kids? Or was it that Job became a better father and Job had another understanding of life? So I think um, it's easy, especially in this culture, to be sucked back to the old me and Mm -hmm. the unappreciative me and the move fast and want to build big and want to run. But I have a lot of clarity moments where the better thing that's happened in my life is the thing that God is building in me. And anytime God gives us a building project or stewardship project, it's because he's building and revealing something in me about him. So he doesn't give us assignments because he thinks we can go build great things, but he knows through assignments he can build great things in us. Amen. So you have two kids. You're single. This is for all the single parents out there. Yeah. Dating, dating the right people. You don't want to harm your kids or just bring anybody to to the home. What advice do you give to single parents that are going through loss or just single um, parents in general about starting to date again? I think there's a big factor to my life, and the factor was because I knew what I was called for, and so I held closely to my assignment, and I would never compromise my calling for anyone or for anything. And so if you have, like, intentional... Sometimes people say I'm too intense, but I say intense people are, an inten- are intentional people. And I know I have a, a purpose and an assignment, so anything that doesn't look like my future, I'm not going to stop to entertain it. I also knew that my kids had been through hell, and I wasn't going to take them through more hell. So um, some of the concepts or principles that I felt like were spoken to me uh, through, through the Holy Spirit was don't date discern. Because if you date a personality, personalities have the power to change. People switch it up, flip the script. But if you can discern a grace on somebody's life, it's the assignment of grace that brings them together and keeps them together. So if you have, um, and I've seen a lot of it where there's a spouse who gets cancer, bedridden, can't do anything for the other spouse, but that spouse serves them, loves them, uh, takes care of them, believes in them, and serves them to their death. There's no way you can do that by having a self-fulfillment relationship philosophy. The only way you can do that is because there was a grace in her that got to the grace in you and was able to sustain it till, for better or worse till death do you part. You said something very important, very key in where you weren't going to compromise your call for anyone or, or anything. And I think that sometimes when there's a... Um, maybe loneliness or, you know, some people, like, they want to have somebody. They forget about that, the importance of the, of the call on, on their life. And there's some ramifications through some, you know, dating the wrong person or making a bad decision. So I really, I really like that you, you said that. Yeah, most people, we figured out along the way. Fortunately for me, I've seen what bad decisions do in my father. 
mm-hmm. and I see consequence play out in life. So not that I'm just this very righteous person, have it all together, right. but I'm also very consequent oriented. Right. You know what I mean? So if I'm like, I'm going to go entertain and be with this person or be with that person, I already see the drama that's going to bring to my life and I already know it's not worth it. And looking at it, like listening to you, it's almost like God was showing you the wide spectrum already from a young age because he knew that you were going to be Pastor TJ leading a people. You talk about your, your father who was in ministry and, you know, divorced him off for somebody that in, in the church. I mean, that that's probably very embarrassing. I mean, it's for Absolutely. You, you Absolutely. Know. And not only that, but I, I saw when you're in leader, when when it's you sinning against you and God and somebody else, that's bad enough. But as a leader, you're sinning against people. You're sinning against uh, relationships. You're, you're, you're hurting a multitude of people. You're not hurting one person. So when you know your life has world impact or influence, which I believe everyone does, even if they don't view themselves that way, there's a circle that you influence. And every decision you make doesn't just affect you. It, it impacts who you're connected to. And so I think if you're a selfish person, you'll disregard who God's assigned to your life. But if you can realize that the people that you're connected to is for a reason, for an assignment, and you have to steward that, you have to walk in integrity and character, and it doesn't mean you're free from mistakes, but you're free to make choices that would keep you from most mistakes. Right. I mean, you said from church to, to meth, like, I mean, what? What were you experiencing? What was going on through your mind? Like, first you saw your, you know, your father in 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 church, and now, I mean, doing what he was preaching against. I mean, how did how did you process that at such a young age? Yeah, I didn't process that very well, because <laughs> um, it was just like you like you said. It was from uh, one day waking up, hearing the sound of worship music, and. Uh, smelling a clean house to waking up to a dingy house and smelling cigarettes and hearing cussing. So it was, once again, like a whole shock to the system. And then when my dad got on drugs, that was a process that just went downhill really fast, really Mm -hmm. bad. And you kind of saw the drugs just sucking his soul out. Um, uh, even even for me, I slept with a shotgun. Yeah. Um, I didn't know who was coming over, what they were coming for. Um, so I, I was in a, a constant state of survival um, as well. So that, that 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 was a huge shock. But all all the meantime, going through that, um, I would often come home after school and just go upstairs and listen to preaching, and I would just trap myself. And then soak myself in worship and the word. So even though I was in a really bad environment, I created a sub environment where I went and hid. And that's testimony in itself. No matter what was happening around you, you knew there was a better life. You didn't know what it was, but you knew there was um, something better for you in God, even at at a, at a young age. So. I guess there's, not to sound in a mean way, that there's no excuse. Because there's people, everybody grows up many different things in their home and and leave 
you know, stop going to church or stop serving God because of what's happening around because they they think, well, I serve you, God. This shouldn't be happening to me. But the fact that you are here now, it, it's truly an inspiration for me personally. But it takes some mental fortitude, some deep-rooted faith, um, trust in God for you to be here and speaking to many people hearing your story right now. I'm, I'm so sure it's going to really encourage them to continue to go through their storm because you made it yeah i say just because my dad has issues doesn't mean i need to have daddy issues mm. and the church was really a blessing because i developed a community and i think even um for kids that have a rough environment at home i think the church is just such a huge blessing because it gives them purpose it gives them vision and it gives them support and so my life was still at that point they're going to get involved in a community so you can choose the church or you can choose other sceneries. But I would um, definitely, even at this, my son's 12 and, um, you know, the school and the culture is fighting for him. Mm -hmm. But I'm making sure he's at every youth event and pushing him into to community because community, people don't heal in isolation. They heal in community. So now you're healing, you're, you're healing, you go to Cornerstone, you meet um, Carissa. And you just had a, another boy. Yeah. And how did you meet her? How'd that, how'd that happen? That was during the um, the the process of don't don't date discern. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually funny because uh, I, I was going to um, the staff meetings at the church yeah. just to hide out, keep my mind busy. Um, and they would have prayer, prayer meetings before they started the work day. So I walked in the church and there was, and if you pray this way, it's totally okay. But it was my measurement. Um, there was different women, they were walking around and they were like with authority commanding the heavens. And, and then I looked to the corner and I saw um, Carissa and she was just like in a humble posture and you just saw her like sincerely, mm -hmm. quietly talking to God. Yeah. And this uh, statement came to my mind, to my mind um, the way that a woman talks to God is the way she'll talk to her husband. Mm. So I was like, if I ever get married, somebody with reverence and honor and that, that's amazing. Maybe it's my own ego, but uh, I, the, I was like that her posture towards God was amazing to me. Um, the, the other Littman's test was uh, a, a lot of girls that would come to me who were interested in me. Um, I would watch them with different babies mm. and everybody has a baby capacity, Okay, which means we all think babies are cute, but some of us think babies are 30 second cute or two minute cute, three minute cute. As soon as they start crying here, give them back. <laughs> so they start smelling a little bit. Here go. Yeah. I got, I got my Instagram picture. Take your baby back. <laughs> but, um, with her, I would watch her watch uh, hold other people's babies for for hours, for hours. So I saw a natural grace on her to mother, and um, so th that was also a great indicator for me. And then eventually, um, I thought I was ready and asked her on, her, on a date, and her dad said no because he didn't think I was ready, and he was trying to hold love back, <laughs> but. Actually, he was actually probably right. So, um, so we, we, we fought through that, worked through it, and um, 
fast forward, I said, I pick you. Amen. And we went. She picked me back. Awesome. <laughs> what a wonderful uh, story. Who inspires you and why? I have many people that inspire me. I, I would... Let me just give a little testimony real quick. All right, go um, ahead. During that season where my father... This was, is your episode. You can <laughs> say as much as you want. During that um, season in my life where um, my dad had got hooked on meth, it became very unsafe for me to be there with him. Um, my mom actually moved to Texas for like a year. And so I moved over there to Texas, and my mom, the first thing she did was took me to a church, which was like 25, 30 minutes from the house. So mm-hmm. when I went to the church, there was this pastor preaching. It seemed like there was like 1,000, 1,500 members. Um, and when he was done with the message, he came and he chased me down. And he asked me for my phone number and followed up with me. So the next day, he actually called me and said, hey, I want you to come with my son and uh, just come over to the house, hang out with us. Um, remember, I, I live 25 to 30 minutes away. And... He, he arranged for me to get, get rides to the church every week. Mm. So after a little while, I felt like I was being a burden to people. So I missed for one week. The following weekend, the youth pastors actually showed up to my house oh, wow. unannounced to see if I was okay and why I wasn't at church. And I was thinking, man, like, I, I can't pay tithes. Like, <laughs> why are these people pursuing me like this? Yeah. Um, so from that week on every week, he made sure I had a ride there and a ride back 25 minutes from the church. Um, so this about a month ago, um, he, he actually came to California and, um, came and talked to me and he asked me to come, uh, preach for him. Oh, that's great. In uh, February. So I'm just so excited just to see the hand of God, just to say this, I've in me, there's a passion to pursue people. And actually get that from him that somebody pursued me when I didn't have anything to offer them. So he, uh, his name is Pastor Wendell Hutchins, and he's um, a, a great inspiration to me. Also, Bishop Trout, yes. who I consider my spiritual father, has been so good to me and has been the face of, face of grace for me. And he's one of the men that I, I learned from that it's okay to be human. And... Uh, I've, I've caught a lot of who he is for me. And then, of course, my father-in-law, he also has a very strong work ethic, and his passion to pursue people um, is inspiring to me. Where, where's um, Pastor um, Hutchins' church at? Uh, in church of, Cham- church of Champions in Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. Yeah. It's, it's like full circle. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's amazing. I'm, I'm so excited to, that, that, to be with him. That's very touching. I mean— he didn't have to, but saw great grace. Yeah, grace in you, and he knew, and it just it isn't it amazing how just God works. I mean, you this is totally off the script, but yeah, it's amazing how God works when you think that you don't matter that. You're, you think you're insignificant, yet God places people in your life, and you don't even know why, but they're the ones pushing you towards towards your destiny. It's tokens of grace, even even little signs, little 
like the little ducks at the pond with a little bread, just, just enough bread for the next step, for the, the next direction. It's, it's amazing. So I don't even know when I tell the story of him having me go, go speak there, but it, to be in my body, to experience the kid's dad who was on meth trying to find a ride to church, to go as a grown-up seed and, and speak life back into the church, just an amazing, surreal experience for me. I hope that can be streamed live somewhere, or if it can be recorded, I would I would love to 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 hear that. Yeah, absolutely. You posted this on your uh, Facebook. When we start by looking to our suffering, we are sure to find despair. But when we when we start by looking to Christ's suffering, we find hope in our suffering. Mm. Good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> It's true, because uh, when we look to our own suffering, the first thing as humans we want to do is compare it to other suffering, and we want to out-suffer people because we want a, a badge. But there's no, there's no hope in our human suffering. When we look to his suffering and know that his suffering was for us, with us, and as us, that it wasn't just a dismissive suffering, but it was an empathetic suffering with us, feeling our pain. When I look to his suffering, I know there's redemption in it. When I look to my suffering, I, I don't need to, and that's why I say with the, 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 the pat answers of, if I look to my suffering, I'm gonna have to make up reasons why. I'm gonna have to create a narrative to make myself feel better. There's already a really great narrative in Jesus. Like he, right. he already has the story, it's amazing. You know what this is? This is very um, liberating. Even for pe everybody, people that are listening, it's it's liberating to know that it's okay to be human. It's okay to have suffering. It's okay. Um, sometimes people think that because they're suffering, they're they're being punished or they're being mm -hmm. condemned by this God that's angry with them. But the way you present it, it's I'm I'm feeling God's grace. Exactly. For for example. Um, let me say, in, in Proverbs 1, 7 through 9, it talks about um, receiving the correction of your father and the instruction of your mother, and those that receive it, they, re they receive a crown of grace, and, an, uh, and around their neck they wear honor. And what I've learned is, like, when we view God as punishing us, God's not punishing us. God is protecting us. God's correction always comes with direction. It's correction and instruction, which means his rod looks more like an arrow. So his correction's always pointing us to the path that we're supposed to be on. And when it says that you're crowned with grace, it's, it's a, 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 a garland wreath that's twisted together. It says the crown will be full of grace. And anytime the Old Testament tries to put something on us, we find in the New Testament that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that he's actually putting it in us. So we don't just have grace on our head. We have grace in our thoughts. Yes. And when grace is in your head, honor is in your heart. The Old Testament tries to put it on us. The New Testament empowers it and puts it in us. That's why they put a crown of thorns on his head. They twist it. Why do they twist it? Because for every twisted thought that we have about life, he died for that. And so God is doing a work 
in us so we don't have to carry life on us. We're empowered. Amen. We're empowered. Amen. So for the person that's, quote unquote, backslidden in their heart, um, in sin, but trying to get back to God, but there's that embarrassment, there's that shame, that feeling of, of guilt, how does God's grace change their situation? How can they receive God's grace? The, the woman who was caught in the act of adultery um, after the accusations has, had ceased, the last line that he tells her is to go and sin no more. Hmm. And I think if we read that without experiencing God's grace, we'll think that go and sin no more means go and try to sin no more. But going and sinning no more is not just you going and sinning no more, but how do you sin no more? You start becoming more conscious conscious of his love for you because behind every sin is failure to believe that you're loved by God. And so when you're more conscious of your Savior, you're less conscious of your sin. And you start living in the freedom of the accusation of grace. Grace accuses the guilty of being innocent. Condemnation accuses the innocent of being guilty. But when you're accused by grace, you start to live free in your conscience, which means, for me, maybe this is a little... uh, Some some people might not like this, but um, if I'm... But I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) This is your episode. It's my episode. (laughs) Get your own episode. But if I'm driving down the street with my wife and there's... um, a billboard of some lady. There was a time in, in my, um, who's not dressed well. And there was a time in my faith where it's like, Oh, I seen this lady and it'd be on my head and I'll feel a sense of darkness and condemnation. And I got to go repent over this. Whereas now I see that I say, no, thank you. I love you. Jesus. My wife hits me once and we're good. But I'm not focused in dwelling on my sin. I'm focused in dwelling on my Savior. So the little things that I experience along the way do not have power over my mind because my mind and heart has been freed from the accusation of the enemy that just because I've experienced sin or see sin or sin's trying to work in my life, it has no power over me. You know what I like about you? Go for it. You're very, you're very transparent you're very open and I think there's the times you're calling for our leaders to be open and transparent. Why are some leaders not as open or transparent about their walk? Um, I don't know for them, but for me, I'll reference back to, to my own suffering and to the grace of God that there's, there's nothing to hide and you can't hide when you're cut open. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing to hide. You just bleed. So you learn to like, you know, it it is what it is. Mm -hmm. And, and I've, I've found that telling the truth of my own experience and my own humanity and my own failures and uh, my own life, that more people actually relate to that. And there is a freedom like, oh, you're called and anointed and you still 
like you didn't ascend into the highest of high places of the holy of holies and like you're not floating throughout the week no i'm yelling at the person who just cut me off right and i'm honking and we're almost fighting but (laughs) i'm working through life like everybody else and there's a freedom to know um you mean i can be a christian on a journey and Christ is forming his character in me through these circumstances and situations and this everyday experience called life hmm. versus there's no arrival. Like if you arrived, it's like you should die. <laughs> Once you get it all together, you should, you're, you're done, like ascend. T.J. Anglin writes, the need for peace comes when everything that made you feel complete becomes shattered into a million pieces. Peace is learning to live whole while living in a broken world. Mm. That's deep. Yeah. We're searching for peace. <laughs> in the pieces. In the pieces. In the pieces. While living in a broken world. Tell me about that. So if, if the concept of peace is nothing missing, nothing's broken, but you're walking through a world, the, the shalom concept, but if you're walking through the world full of broken relationship, full of, um, you know, broken experiences, then you're going to come to the conclusion that I have no peace. Um, The analogy I give is there's a family who has this house and they have this old photo that they put up and they didn't want anyone to see because they weren't happy with the photo. They were overweight at the time. The, the, The dress was out of date. So they put the photo up. This tornado comes into town. It starts ripping the house apart, they run to the hills. Um, They pray for peace, and the first part of peace is peace be still. But just because it gets still and the storm goes away doesn't mean it's whole. In fact, the first part of peace actually lets you see the brokenness, the damage. Peace be still to, to the winds and to the sea, but now I can see clearly the effect that it had on the boat. So before the storm, as long as there's chaos, I don't even, I just feel endangered. But once there's peace, now there's an evaluation period that things aren't as they were or are there, as are they supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so they run back to the house, the, the peace, the storm is calm, and they find the house in shattered pieces, millions, hundreds of thousands of pieces of the house and they go through it and they find the one old family photo mm-hmm. in that moment with their family with that one family photo they have more peace in that moment than they've had in their entire life and though they had a whole house and now their house is shredded because they have a new perspective they find peace because we're alive we're with each other and we have a memory to cherish too the house didn't make the home the family made the home and we're all here together Amen. Peace in the pieces. Treat <laughs> Pastor TJ. You are the son-in-law of megachurch pastor Sergio de la Mora, pastor of Cornerstone Church, and there's a few cute campuses in San Diego County. In fact, there's one in North County close to where, 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 I, where I live. And um, what have you learned from him, and what is your role there besides being the coastal campus pastor? What I've learned is um, follow up and follow through. He keeps an amazing pace to put the vision before. He has such an excellence for detail. 
And so, you, you know, sometimes when you're in it, you don't realize how much you've grown, but if you step away, it changes the landscape. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when I step away, um, it kind of shows my, my growth and what I've, what I've learned for him, but his ability to be relational and make the phone calls and meet with the people for coffee and follow through with the leaders is just, uh, Im impeccable, you know, cause you have a lot of leaders who want to become CEOs and right. instruct the two people to go, which is if, if you're pulling it off do it, but he, he's amazing because he's able to lead at a high level and a very personal level as well. And our concept is like everybody like get in, like go to work. So you're not, you're never too big to serve. You're never too big to, to lead and to work. And we all just jump in and make it happen. Amen. And he just released a book uh, some time ago, Paradox. Paradox, yeah. And Pastor Sergio, you are always welcome on the Preacher's Corner podcast. Come on. You are welcome to come anytime you like. When is your book coming out, Pastor Shh. TJ? And you what is what? the title of it? <laughs> I have a book called Run Peace, Crushed by Life, Saved by Grace. It's completely done. It's finished. Um, I've been focused on my assignment to lead people, love people, build people. And um, I don't want a book to be a distraction right now. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of felt within myself to hold, hold off on it, on releasing it, because all the other things that that attention and places that would draw me to. Uh, but I, after I made the announcement that I wasn't going to release, <laughs> I walked into a coffee shop and saw a young man I hadn't seen in like five years. And the first words he says to me, he's like, you got to release your book. He's like, okay, Jesus, if you want me to release the book, I'll just release the book. So I'm open. It's not my huge priority. I'm writing other things. Mm -hmm. um, I'm working on it. I love to write. So right. I'm doing, I'm doing that now. I'm working on some other projects. So, um, Whenever, just just going for it right now. Let me know. I'll I'll pick up the book. I'll get it uh, personally signed. Come on, Pastor TJ. Be worth all kinds of money. The oh, autographed yeah. TJ version. It'll be uh, eBay. On my, it'll be on my uh, coffee table conversation starter. Come on. You know. So I've talked to some friends of yours. Uh, some of them they're uh, mutual friends, and um, I asked them to describe you, and the unanimous word was what we've been talking about do this whole episode is grace mm. as I was prepping for this episode in fact it was yesterday got chills down my spine um, it's no coincidence that you are on the fifth episode of the preacher's corner podcast I heard that at the beginning and I was on a little bit of a hiatus I was I was moving the holidays came you know, some things fell through. Some people um, weren't able to come on and, you know, just happened. We were able to, you know, finally get you on. But I think it was God-ordained mm. for you to be on today on the fifth episode because you know. Number five. Number five in the Bible is what? Grace. The come number on. of grace. So not only are you a leader, you're a pastor. Motivational speaker, you are also a composer. You wrote a song called Run, Peace, Run. What does that song mean to you? Um, Job 3510 says that he gives you songs in the night, hmm. which is really cool because I've always 
like melodies. Um, but through the night season that I experienced, God gave me all kinds of lyrics. And one of them was actually at the hospital. And I was, after she had passed away, walking through the hallways. And it was, it wasn't like I was sitting down writing it. It was just coming to me. Right. And it was, it was just over and over again, I kept repeating, your grace is sufficient, your love is omniscient, your peace surpasses or run passes them all. Uh, a pastor had called me and he, he gave me the, the scripture. He's like, look at the peace of God's going to come and pass all understanding. And my reply to that was like, hurry up. Like, if you're going to come, I'm right. not going to make it to you. There's no halfway meeting point. You're going to have to run to my rescue. So I saw, I saw peace as a person running and rescuing me. Amen. And so that, that, that's the concept of the song that um, I was in a broken place that required peace to come rescue me. And I can see, I can sense peace all, all over you. Um, we're we're going to end um, with, with this. And I'm going to read something that, that you wrote that is very powerful. I mean, it resonated with me. And I know it's going to resonate with those that are listening. And we've referenced your book, Run Peace. I wrote a book called Run Peace. I've attempted to release it several times, but I decided most of the writings were more for my journey and my process. It was very personal for me. I chose not to cheapen a story with words. I didn't want to fall in the trap of enterprising something that has had such an impact and defining moment in my life. I didn't want to attempt to find purpose by marketing, quote unquote, my story. Maybe one day I'll release it and give it away to people I feel would find peace or comfort through it. But for now, it's been a seven-year journey that I wouldn't have words to describe the details of both my sorrows and joys and how they've both been at work in my process. It does seem a part of me has died seven years ago in tragedy, and it also seems a new me has grown to live and discover a whole new world. I live with both great joy and a slight sting in the soul. To life and the last seven years, I say, cheers to all my attempts of figuring it, figuring it out, mostly falling short and learning to be okay with it. We made it this far by grace, so let grace keep going and growing. An excerpt from Grace, an excerpt from Run Peace, The Prayer of Disappointment. The doctor told me my son was alive. He was stable in a severely vulnerable condition, fighting for his life. They were flying him out to a special hospital for children. I watched my newborn son leave. His head was swollen and his condition severe. I felt numb with no feelings toward him. The doctors went on to tell me they had done everything they could for Letta. I walked up to my pale, cold wife, my lifelong best friend. With all the faith I had left, I prayed, my heart shattering into a million pieces. Tears poured down my face my body shaking and trembling. I repeated over and over, life, life, give her life, live, 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 life, 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 give her life. One of the nurses burst into tears and ran over to me. The doctor looked at me, disappointment in his face and said, God can be so cruel sometimes. I looked him in the eyes and muttered, he's faithful. Not because I believed it at the moment, but more so because I didn't want him to not believe it. C.S. Lewis once wrote, To this day, I do not know what they mean when they call dead bodies beautiful. 
The ugliest man alive is an angel of beauty compared with the loveliest dead. What do you say to somebody that is just going through such a depth of pain? What would Pastor T.J. Anglin share from his heart? Right. Um, that every... <clears throat> sorry, I'm not crying. <laughs> My throat. <clears throat> every journey is unique, and God wants you to uniquely know him and you're not doing it wrong and you're not doing it right. You're kind of in the journey just processing and figuring it out. And you have permi permission to hurt how you hurt. And you're going to make it. And sometimes you're going to be carried. Sometimes you're going to crawl. Sometimes you're going to cuss. And sometimes you're going to pray. But you are going to make it. That redemption is God's specialty. God redeems very well. And don't, don't give up on life. Life is already short as it is. Don't give up on life. There's more to experience. And although the season or the chapter has ended, your life is not over. Although the ones you love and loved that have passed before you, it's the ending of their life. It's not the ending of yours. Though some ministry people that you looked up to, though they've had failure, it's the ending for them perhaps, but it's not the ending for you. God wants to show and reveal himself to you more in a way that you would never see him from a perspective you didn't have the ability to see him. And the more you see God's grace, you'll see his beauty through it all. So I just encourage you to, to feel what you feel, lean in, embrace it, write, express, keep walking it out. Would you pray and bless the people? Yeah, God, thank you for this opportunity. Any opportunity that you give to speak life over people. Anyone that's hurting out there today, anyone who's in a transitional season or a season where they need clarity or direction, God, I just pray that your grace overwhelmed them, that you reveal to them that you're not just trying to show them a way out of their current circumstance, but you're trying to reveal yourself as the way. Would you help us to grow in grace? Would you help to heal the heart of your people, to heal their minds, to restore relationships? God, we trust you today, and we believe that you're teaching us more and more about you each and every day. We're open to receive. We're resolved in you, but we're open to receive. Bless them. Bless every hearer today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And thank you for doing what you do, encouraging people, encouraging leaders, and um, stepping out by faith. I know it's going to be a great encouragement for a lot of people. Thank you, Pastor.